God, as we prayed earlier, I just don't want us to miss the significance of opening your word and getting to hear from you. And God, I pray, just like we're gonna read in in 1 Thessalonians this morning, I pray that as we read, as we think about what you have said to us, that your Holy Spirit would give us the gift of full conviction of this. That we would believe with every fiber of our being, not only the gospel, but everything that comes from that, that's in your word. So I pray that your spirit would be active in this room in all of our hearts this morning. Whether we've been walking with you for decades and have read the Bible many times, or whether this is our first time engaging with scripture, I pray that your spirit would be teaching us, exhorting us, encouraging us this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Thessalonians. I'm excited this morning to jump into a uh, new sermon series with you. We're just going to study the book of 1 Thessalonians together. I love doing verse-by-verse studies of books in the Bible um, because I just like to dig in and really understand a book of the Bible. So we're going to do that through the fall in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But I wanted to start this morning with a uh, question, a particular question, and that is this. Um, Why do you, if you do, by the way, why do you practice faith? Like, why is faith a part of your life? You know, why are you here this morning? Why did you take the time to come to church, to sing, to listen to me talk for 30 minutes, probably more than that, right? Like, why are you here? Why are you practicing faith? Why is faith a part of your life? I'm guessing if you're here or if you're tuning in online or listening to this later, that faith has some sort of role in your life, whether it's a huge part of your life or you're just trying to check it out. You know, as I've asked this question to a lot of different people, believers, non-believers, I I do, over the years, I've gotten lots of answers to this particular question of why is faith important to you? I'm curious about that. Uh, Some people have said to me straight up, you know what? I believe that faith provides me and my family a great moral foundation. And so I just want to give that gift of a good moral foundation to my family. So that's why we make faith a part of our life. Other people have said to me before, well, it's kind of what my family's always done. This is something that my parents passed down along to me. I see that it has good things to offer. And so therefore, faith is a big part of my life because it's kind of my legacy. And others will say things like, well, faith is what defines me. Um, My faith in Jesus is literally my identity. I, I don't know who I am without that. And so, of course, faith is a huge part of my life because who would I be without faith? You know, over the last 10 years, I've had two close friends who have gone through severe bouts of leukemia, like aggressive forms of leukemia. And, and both of them are in remission, praise the Lord. And what's interesting is because they had such an aggressive form of leukemia, um, the treatment that they had to undergo was a bone marrow transplant. 
And bone marrow transplants are fascinating if you think through what they do. Because literally what the, the patient goes through is they give you such heavy doses of chemotherapy that they essentially kill off all of your blood cells. They kill off all of your blood cells that produce other blood cells. And then they give you bone marrow from a donor. And what bone marrow contains is all of the blood cells or blood stem cells. I don't know. Mark Leonard could describe this better than I could, right? All of that stuff that, that produces, reproduces blood cells, they give you new version of that. And what it does is literally produce different blood inside of you. So you're, if, you're, if you have a bone marrow transplant, your blood, after it's done, if it takes, has a different DNA than what you have, than what your tissues have, and you also become a different blood type if the donor was a different blood type than you. Literally, your blood is different. It's the other person's kind of blood. It's fascinating. It changes you from the inside out. And when the Bible talks about faith, it talks about something that is given to you, kind of transplanted to you, and it comes inside, and it literally changes you from the inside out. That, that faith has such an impact on you like a bone marrow transplant would. But it's interesting because I think that a lot of us, especially if we've grown up in the church, we kind of look at faith almost like a supplement. Like, I take fish oil every day, all right? That's just it's a supplement that I take. Why? Because I think it's good for me. Why do I think it's good for you? I don't know, someone told me that I should do that, right? I guess omega-3s are a good type of fatty acid or whatever it is. I don't know, it's what I take. It's a supplement. Now, the reality is this. I forget to take it all the time. And I'm completely fine if I forget to take it. So is it good for me? I, I hope so, I think so, right? All right, is it, am I okay if I go without it? Yeah, I'm fine. So what is it? It's helpful. And I think for many of us, we see faith as that. It's, it's helpful. It's a helpful supplement. It's a helpful add-on. But, you know, if I don't really practice it or if I don't really engage with it all the time, I'm all right. And I really think that COVID kind of revealed this in some where they, you know, because church got shut down and, and so a lot of people went without their gathering with their uh, brothers and sisters in Christ for a long time, year plus. And I think you just kind of realize, man, I didn't really miss it and I, I'm really okay without it. And so they've kind of come out of COVID with a weaker faith because maybe it just revealed that to them, all their faith really was, was a supplement and not something that literally has changed who you are. And I'm curious what it is for you. Has your faith in your life been more like the bone marrow transplant, literally changing you from the inside out? Or has it been more like a supplement? Today we're gonna launch a new sermon series that I said in 1 Thessalonians. And we're gonna entitle the series, Take Heart. And I'll explain why we're gonna call it that here in just a few moments. But this morning, as we get into this book, as we read it, these opening verses of the book, what I think we're gonna learn about is the power of the gospel. When we place our faith in it, the power of the gospel to literally change us from the inside out. So what I wanna do is I wanna jump into this book with you. 
All right, 1 Thessalonians. I wanna read, we're just gonna do the first five verses today. Uh, actually, the first uh, four verses and half of verse five. Uh, let's read that together. And then I'm gonna give us a little bit of an introduction on the book. I want you to understand what this letter is. Why did the Apostle Paul write it? Who he's writing it to? I want you to get the full context because that's gonna help us to understand the power of the gospel and the kind of impact that the gospel had on these people in Thessalonica. All right, so let's read this, 1 Thessalonians. This is a letter that Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote to a church that was in Thessalonica, which is uh, modern-day Greece today. Let's read the first five verses. It says this, Paul, Silvanus, that's Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And we'll stop right there for today. Now, let me just jump in here. because So you have these three guys, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who write this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And what he says in verse two, Paul writes, I'm constantly mentioning you in my prayers, thanking God for you. Now, if we read this too fast, we can just read right over it and think, oh, that's just, you know, those are just like niceties, right? Little platitudes. So thankful for y'all. Hope you're doing well. Let's get to the meat of the letter. But I don't want us to go past this too quickly because I think if you understood the history behind this letter, I think you would understand that when Paul says, I'm constantly thanking God for you, that he really means it, that he's thanking God for you. So here's, here's what I want you to do. I wanna kind of give you the history of this church. So when Paul comes to Christ in the book of Acts, after that, he goes on three missionary journeys. And on those journeys, he's planting churches, preaching the gospel, encouraging believers. Paul plants this church in Thessalonica during his second missionary journey. And you can read about that in Acts 16 to 18, 19, all right? In that part of the book of Acts, you can read about this journey. So I want you to see a part of this journey. I'm gonna put a map on the screen. I'm gonna go a little laser pointer action this morning, all right? And so what I want you to see here is Paul's missionary journey. Now, you guys see my laser pointer? Good. All right, right down here, here's the Mediterranean Sea. Right down here is Israel. Here's Jerusalem, okay? And up here, this is Syria. Modern-day Syria is a town called Antioch. That's Paul's hometown church. That's like his local church. Those are his elders. They sent him. They commissioned him. They discipled him. Like, Paul's accountable to them, all right? That's his local church, and they send him off to be a missionary, all right? Every missionary needs a sending church. Paul had Antioch. So if you read Acts 16, all right, Paul takes off on his second missionary journey with Silas, and he travels up through here. This is Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and he comes to this town called Lystra. Lystra, he planted a church there in his first missionary journey. That's where he links up with Timothy, 
All right, so he meets this guy, Timothy, thinks he's awesome. You should come with me. Let's go plant churches together. So now we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy, all right? We go from Lystra right here up through Turkey, all the way through here. We cross the Aegean Sea, and we come over to Greece to this town called Philippi right there. So this is in the province of Macedonia in the Roman Empire. It's Greece today. So Paul plants a church in Philippi. All right, that, then later on he writes a letter to them called the book of Philippians. And when Paul plants this church in Philippi, it, 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 in many ways it's going great, um, but he also gets thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. All right, and then the Holy Spirit like breaks him out of jail and it's this amazing thing. The Roman jailer comes to Christ, his whole family, but it was a rough time in Philippi. All right, a lot of persecution for preaching the gospel there. So what Paul does is he moves on from Philippi, all right, which is up here, and he comes just over to the west a little bit to Thessalonica, this huge city in Macedonia, all right, biggest city in Macedonia, influential city. And so Paul decides to plant a church here, okay, in Thessalonica. And I want us to read the account in Acts chapter 17 together, all right? So this is gonna be Acts 17, Verses 1 to 10, this is the account of Paul planting this church in Thessalonica, okay? Verse 1 says, Now when they, that's Timothy, Silas, and Paul, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. This is what Paul would always do. He would come to a town, find the synagogue, and go preach the gospel. It usually didn't go well for him when he did that, but that's what Paul did every single time. Verse four, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So now we have our church plant. We got some Jews, we got some Greeks and some of the leading women, the women who were leaders of the city were now a part of this church plant in Thessalonica. But the Jews, verse five, were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble I don't really know what that means of the rabble. I'll have to look that up. What does the rabble mean? But take some wicked men. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. So we assume Jason was someone who was housing Paul, Timothy, and Silas. So they attacked this guy's house. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed. And when they heard these things, uh, when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea uh, because essentially... They were getting run out of town by the Thessalonians. All right, so that's the account of Paul. Can I go back to my map? That's the account of Paul planting this church. So we go from Philippi, he's jailed for preaching the gospel, to Thessalonica, he's run out of town for preaching the gospel. Then we come just down here to Berea. Now here's the thing with Berea. 
they were pretty reasonable people. Man, reasoned from the scriptures. They were like engaging with Paul. But look at Acts 17, verse 13. It says, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So what we have is these Jews from Thessalonica came down to Berea and kicked them out of Berea. So not so again, so we Philippi, jailed, Thessalonica, run out of town, Berea, run out of town by the Thessalonians, all right? So Thessalonians, I mean, this is a rough town, the Thessalonica. So back to my map. I'm almost done with the map. Then Paul's going to go from Berea down here to Athens. You can read about that in Acts 17 where he preaches at the marketplace. And it, it goes okay, but not a lot of people follow Paul or believe in what he said. So he has a rough time in Athens. Then he makes his way to Corinth. All right, right down here in Corinth. And in Corinth, what happens is Paul as he's going down to Athens from Berea, sends Timothy and Silas back up to uh, Philippi and back up to Thessalonica to check on the churches. Hey, check on them, see if they're even alive, all right, is what Paul does. Then Timothy and Silas meet Paul back in Corinth. So they come back together in Corinth. They're gonna plant a church in Corinth together. And so what happens is Timothy and Silas bring Paul a report. Here is how the people are doing in Philippi. Here is how people are doing in Thessalonica. All right, so he gets the report from the churches in Macedonia. And here's the thing. Paul is probably assuming that there is no way, at least the ones in Thessalonica, that church, that church is no more. I mean, those people were rowdy. They, they drew me out of town and they drove me out of Berea as well. So I'm assuming that Paul sent Timothy and Silas up to check on them because he assumed that has not, it's probably not going well. But here's the thing. Timothy and Silas bring a report to Paul that says they're thriving. Like they're doing great. They're doing, like their, their church, it's growing, it's thriving. They're following Jesus. They're following the word. And Paul is like, wait, are you kidding me? And so when Paul writes, I'm constantly mentioning you in my prayers, thanking God for you. You have to understand that Paul has had an extremely discouraging season of ministry. Being beaten up, run out of town, jailed, made fun of, thinking there is no gospel fruit happening. And then he gets this word that there is this thriving church in Thessalonica. And so what Paul does is he sits down and he writes them a letter to encourage them, and to show his gratitude. And that is the letter of 1 Thessalonians. That's what we're reading this morning. Paul's letter back in response to the report from Timothy and Silas. And so what Paul does is he repeats to them in these verses two to five, he repeats the very things that he heard from Timothy and Silas. Here are the things that they said about you. So what they say, he says, I'm constantly giving thanks to God, mentioning you in my prayers. Why? Remembering, this is verse three, before our God and Father, he goes, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel didn't come to you in just words, 
No, they came in power with the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. And so here's what Paul is saying here as we open up the book of 1 Thessalonians. He's saying, I know that God's chosen you because yes, I came, I gave you a message. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has given you faith in that message. God has given you faith in Jesus Christ himself and the reality that Jesus came to rescue us from our sin because we were alienated from God, that Jesus lived the life of righteousness we could not live. He died the death to pay off our sins. He rose again from the dead, defeating death. And we know that he's gonna come back and that we have eternal life in his kingdom. I gave you that message, but God has done something through the Holy Spirit that made it implant inside of you and it's changed everything about you. And Timothy and Silas report to Paul three things that they saw that makes them go, yes, they have faith in this gospel. The Holy Spirit is here. Like something has happened that is literally changing them from the inside out. And what were those three things? Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness in hope. And I want us to think about what these three things mean because this was the report from Timothy and Silas. Here's what we saw inside that church. So I'm gonna break these things down for us. What do each of them mean? And how are they proof that the gospel has been implanted inside of us? So let's start with number one, work of faith. Paul and Silas report that we see their works of faith. Now, this word work in Greek literally means tangible or practical proof. So I saw tangible proof that they believe this. I saw practical proof that they believe this gospel. I, I didn't just hear them preach it. I didn't just hear them regurgitate it. No, I saw something. It's what James is talking about when he says that faith without works is dead, that when faith is implanted in us, something happens and it literally changes the way that we live. And so I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, what could have Timothy and Silas saw that made them go, man, that's proof of their faith in this gospel. So I'm reading through the book and I came to 1 Thessalonians 4 and we'll get there in the coming weeks but in 1 Thessalonians 4, one of the things that Paul writes is he says, I want to encourage you to keep on living in the way that you're already living. I want you, Paul, he basically says, Timothy and Silas report to me that the way you live your lives is in stark contrast to the rest of the city. And so Paul encourages them towards their holiness, that they are living differently than everyone else around them. And, and so I think what Timothy and Silas saw was them living in a particular way that made evidence to their faith. But here's the thing about our works or living according to God's commands or holiness. I can change my behavior and it not be anchored in faith. Like, I can do that. You can do that. We can discipline ourselves and live in a particular way, and the motivator behind that living is not 
faith. So how is what Timothy and Silas saw, how is that evidence or practical proof of faith? Because it wasn't just their behavior they saw. I believe that it was the motivation underneath their behavior that they saw that was evident to them. Right, this goes back to the summer sermon series that we did called For Your Joy as we preached through the Ten Commandments. And what we saw in that series was that God doesn't give us the Ten Commandments as a means through which we earn his love. No, that actually God loves us in and through Christ. And then after he purchases us, after we become his children, he gives us his commands in love for us because he says, this is the way to life. This is what will honor and glorify me. And so what I think that Timothy and Silas saw was them living their lives in such a way that was clearly marked by gratitude. Them living their lives in such a way that was clearly in response to the gospel that they didn't smell self-righteousness in these people, that they didn't smell legalism, right? When our good deeds or our holiness or following God's commands are anchored in self-righteousness, right? It's performatory, and we can all smell performatory faith from a mile away, and it doesn't smell good. But I think that they saw that, no, I can tell they believe in the gospel because the way they live their lives is clearly marked by gratitude. And I'll tell you this, whenever you see someone live a life that's marked by gratitude, they're always a more delightful person to be around and gentle person to be around than someone who's not. And I just think that was evident. And and it makes me ask this question, Are we fully convinced of the gospel? Because I think when we're fully convinced of the gospel, when it's implanted inside of us, then we live our lives in response to it, which the only way to live in response to the gospel is through gratitude. It was just evident. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, is the greatest obstacle that the church faces today, is it evident that we live our lives the way we do because of gratitude to Christ? Or is it because of self-righteousness? Their work of faith, practical proof that they believed in the gospel and how they lived their lives. That's number one. Second thing that Paul, or sorry, Timothy and Silas saw in the Thessalonians was their labor of love. This really struck me this week. Their labor of love. This word labor literally means toil, uncomfortable work. Uncomfortable work. So a proof that they believe in the gospel is their willingness to engage in the uncomfortable work and toil of love. I don't know, what does that mean? I mean, I, it's, it's weird to even see those words come together, but the reality is this. Relationships are hard, aren't they? We often get hurt by people that we get close to. The love that we show others isn't always reciprocated to us in the way that we expect. Relationships are difficult. And the church is not immune to hard, difficult relationships. And without a gospel worldview, it's really easy for us to allow relationships when they get hard or when we don't, our expectations aren't met to just let them end 
or let them become bitter or let them become silent. But Timothy and Silas saw something. They saw something that made them put those two words together. Those people labor in their love for one another and their neighbor. They toil, they work hard for it, they fight. They're willing to endure uncomfortable, awkward situations in order to love one another better. They saw something that made them pen those letters and report that back to Paul. So when the gospel implants inside of us, it teaches us a couple of things. Number one, when the gospel implants itself, we realize that even when we offended God, we rejected God, we ran away from God, that God himself pursued after us. God himself moved towards us, sacrificed on our behalf that we might be uh, reconciled to him and back in relationship with him. So one of the things that a gospel worldview will give us is this willingness to move towards others who have hurt us. And the second thing that the gospel does is it also teaches us, this is the, the, the hard part of the gospel. It teaches us that we're sinners. It teaches us that we need to be saved. It teaches us that we don't have it all together and that there's lots and lots of ways that we need to grow. And so what the gospel can do is give us the humility and self-awareness to go, huh, I wonder how others have to toil and work hard to be in relationship with me. I don't know if we ask that question a lot. I think we can you know, spout off many ways how it's hard work to be in a relationship with this person or that person. But have we ever asked, how is it hard work to be in relationship with me? And the gospel frees us up to ask that very question because it gives us the self-awareness about myself and it also motivates me to pursue others. And I think Timothy and Silas saw this in the church in Thessalonians. They fight hard to love one another. And I'm wondering if Timothy and Silas came and toured the American church today, would they report back the church over there, man, they labor in their love. Those relationships are resilient. The gospel clearly is the thing that governs how they love one another. And when it gets hard, because it will get hard, they fight hard for it. They endure the uncomfortable nature of hard relationships. Would that be the report back? You know, my, my two greatest friends today, I just, guys who I trust, I, I, I talk to on a regular basis. Um, they see every part of me in the sense of, you know, all the flaws, everything. Um, two guys, one of them's Pastor Evan here uh, at Grace Hill. We've known each other for well over a decade. Another, another pastor in the area, a guy named John. But both these guys like some of my two closest, greatest friends, one of the things I've realized about those relationships are two things. One, they're, they're well over a decade old, but two, both of them have been ruptured. Both relationships have had rifts. We've sinned against each other. We've hurt each other. We've said things we ought not to say to each other. And then we did the hard work of repairing it. And we did that because we loved each other with a gospel love. And what I found is that those relationships are now stronger. What I found is because we did the labor of love, we trust each other more. 
there's actually a precedent for when there is a rupture, there will be a repair. And that's how God wants his church to operate. Yes, there's gonna be conflicts all over the place. Don't be surprised by it. But what makes them different? It's not the absence of conflict. It's that they labor in their love for one another. And Timothy and Silas saw that. Last thing, steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness of hope. This word steadfast means patience, endurance. We just read about the rabble. I don't even know what rabble is. I didn't look that up before we preached. But right, like rabble, we just read about them. They're, they're, you don't wanna mess with them. They are being persecuted, not just by the Romans, but also by the Jews. It was not easy to be a church that believed in Jesus during these days. And yet they lived with this steadfastness of hope. They lived believing that Jesus was actually going to return, that he's coming back and that we don't have to live our lives like everybody else around here who has no hope but we have a hope that Jesus is returning. He's bringing his kingdom and will be with him for all of eternity. They've been freed from this horror of time, right? That, that this life is all you have and you have to make the best of it somehow in some way. They've been freed from that. And so what they've become, and here, here's what I think Timothy and Silas saw interesting. This church here, they are a non-anxious presence in a very anxious city. They're a non-anxious presence in the largest city of Macedonia that it, everyone's trying to get rich and everyone's trying to be influential and everyone's trying to figure out what the purpose of their life is. And then you have this group of people who are settled in their hope. And it makes me wonder if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that your future was secure in Christ that you're gonna be with him in his kingdom for all of eternity, how would that change the way you live? Would you live more slowly? Would you live with less anxiety? Timothy and Silas said, we see how they live and they clearly believe that Jesus is returning. And this is why we're calling the series Take Heart is because one of the things that Paul's going to encourage the Thessalonians over and over again is on the reality that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's returning. And so because of that, you can live like this. Be encouraged in that. And that's a theme that we're gonna be coming back to over and over again is what does it look like to live with a steadfastness of hope because Jesus is returning. And so here's, here's what I wanna ask you this morning as we just wrap up here is do you and band if you guys want to come up you can uh, do you long for the gospel to produce these kinds of things in you do you long for the gospel to produce a gratitude that overflows in a certain way of living do you long for the gospel to produce a resiliency in your relationship do you long for the gospel to, to create a steadfastness of hope in you that allows you to be a, a non-anxious presence? Do you long for the gospel to do these things in you? Because what we learned this morning is that it is the gospel. 
preached to us, but then implanted into us by the Holy Spirit with full conviction that produces these things in us, literally changes us from the inside out. And so I wanna say this first. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you into exploring this gospel. Or maybe you're someone, you go, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus or not. I've called myself that before, but maybe I'm not. I'm not sure. I have tons of questions. I want to invite you in to exploring who Jesus is. We want to walk with you through that. Like so much so, do me a favor. If, if you want to do that, I'm serious about this, scan the QR code in your bulletin. On that webpage that will pop up, you'll see a blurb that says Foundations of Faith. Fill out that form. And we'd love to disciple you through the questions that you have about who Jesus is. We'd love to walk you through the scriptures and let's wrestle together on what the gospel really is and how it takes root in your heart. Go on the journey with us. We'd love to do that for you. And here's the second thing. If you're, if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, I, I think the takeaway from the text for us this morning is this. We can't go a day without being reminded of the gospel. If, if you're not feeding yourself this truth on a daily basis, you're gonna start to starve. Your soul needs to be reminded of who you are, what Christ has done, and that is going to produce inside of you a gratitude that leads to how you live. And it's gonna produce inside of you a willingness to labor in love. It's gonna produce inside of you a steadfastness of hope. And so I have a challenge for you. I brought, these are two resources that I've used in my life that have done this very thing for me. Two books, uh, one is called A Gospel Primer by uh, Milton Vincent, uh, definitely not uh, winner of best book cover at all, uh, but it's a great book, A Gospel Primer, and this one is called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. Both of these are daily devotionals that are going to get you in the word, but they're going to remind you of the gospel and the truths of the gospel and how that impacts and changes your heart. And so here's my challenge to you. If you don't feed yourself every day and you find yourself longing for these things, then go find another person in this church and say, let's get this book together or this book together. They're, they're not long. It takes like a page a day. And we're gonna read these. We're gonna read the scriptures and then let's just text each other. Hey, I was encouraged by this from my reading this morning. Like do this with another person. Give yourself the diet that your soul needs. Because without it, how are you going to see these things change you from the inside out? We need a regular diet of the gospel because it literally is the thing that will change us from the inside out. Let me pray for us. God, I'm so thankful that you gave us these letters that Paul and others wrote to the churches. And the reason why I'm thankful is because these letters just give us such great insight into what it looks like to follow you. And so God, I'm thankful for the work that Paul and Silas and Timothy did in planting that church in Thessalonica. And I'm thankful for the way that your Holy Spirit sustained that church. And I'm thankful for this letter that we have, and I pray we learn from it. 
God, may, may someone say of Grace Hill Church one day what Silas and Timothy reported about the church in Thessalonica. God, would you help us in our work of faith? I pray, God, that we would be so convinced and grateful for the gospel that it would overflow in living our lives in the way that you've commanded. I pray, God, that we would be a church that labors in love, that literally loves each other with a gospel kind of love and doesn't allow our relationships to be dictated by the ways of the world. Help us, Lord, to be people who work hard to love each other well. And God, I pray that we would have a steadfastness of hope, that we'd be convinced that Jesus is returning and we could be a non-anxious presence, Lord, in a very anxious world. We ask that you'd produce these things in us. Help us to always be faithful to keep the gospel before us as it does these things in our heart. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.